welcome to the Blessed Life Podcast, where we explore together how to walk in the promises of Jesus. My name is Eric, Discipleship Pastor at New Life Lutheran Church. Thanks for listening today. Today on the podcast, we are continuing our conversation, Habits of a Disciple. We spent several weeks exploring discipleship as found in the letter to the Colossians that Paul wrote that we find in the New Testament. And we talked about how discipleship is inhabiting the promises of God, walking in the promises of God, and walking in the good things that God has for us in Christ in our baptism. And now we are spending several months talking about all the habits that we can develop, the practices that we can do to grow in the grace of God and to become more and more like Jesus day by day. Last episode, we talked about growth in the Christian life and how we can have this attitude and this approach to life of growth and that in God, nothing is wasted. Every moment is used by God to help us grow into Christ-likeness and to speak to us and to work his goodness and grace in us. And so we talked about the learning circle, which is a tool that we have to examine and observe what goes on around us and to reflect on what God has for us and to walk in obedience to him at the end of that circle. I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. Today, we're going to talk about the next habit, which is scripture. Scripture, as the bottom line, is the most important thing in the life of a believer. And the reason is, is that we have a God who is not silent, but a God who speaks. The very first chapter of the Bible, the very first page describes this God who spoke and everything came into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God is fundamentally a God who speaks. And when he speaks, things happen. And so when he spoke, creation happened. When he said, let there be light, there was light. When he said, let there be land, there was land. When he said, let there be animals, there were animals. When he said, let there be humans, there were humans. He speaks and things happen. We have a God who communicates, a God who in his fundamental personality speaks. He's a God who communicates, who talks about what's going on, and who speaks to us. This is the very first primary reality of our life. This is the most important thing about our lives is that we have a God who speaks, a God who speaks to us. And God's word, the words that he uses have power, have authority. God has spoken the world into existence. He has spoken humans into existence. And he spoke to the first humans in the Garden of Eden. And he's been speaking to his people ever since. And now, over the years of both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, God has spoken to his people, first the Israelites, the Hebrews, and then to the church. He has spoken to his people through literature. He has given the written word to his people to know him by. So God has spoken to us, has decided that he is going to speak to us in literature, which is what we call the scriptures. Now, oftentimes you might hear it called the Holy Bible. And in fact, more often than not, if you buy one, it says Holy Bible right there on the cover. The word Bible, it comes from the Greek word Biblia, which is plural for uh, books. That's what that means. Books, plural. So the Bible is not one thing, 
but it is many things. It is actually 66 separate books, 66 distinct works of literature that are all a little different. Many were written by different people. They have different genres in them, different types of writing, different types of literature. They use different metaphors and language to talk about God. And this is our fundamental reality. When we engage with God, when we speak to God, God has desired and has decided to speak to us fundamentally through these works of literature. So in order to hear God, we have to do the work of reading this literature. Some of you, as you hear this, are very excited because you like reading. You like poetry. You like biographies. You like histories. You like reading novels, works of fiction. You enjoy reading and you enjoy reading literature. Some of you are not so excited because you don't like literature and you don't like engaging in this, these kinds of arts. But this literature, the Holy Scriptures, uh, the Bible is not just any literature. It's not just reading for reading's sake. It's not just pleasure reading. We hear in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Scripture is God-breathed, or as we might say, is inspired. God, the Holy Spirit, filled human individuals who were then led by the Holy Spirit to speak, write, collect, and edit these works. We know some of the names of the people who wrote these works, who collected these works, but many of the names of the people who wrote and collected and edited the works of literature in the Bible, we do not know. But God, the Holy Spirit, inspired and led all of these people to write to speak, to collect, and to edit these works, to have one thing, the scriptures. This scripture, then, is God-inspired for a purpose. It is for something. It is not for pleasure. It is not just for fun. It is, it is intentional and on purpose. And what it is good for is teaching. Scripture reveals to us who God is, who we are, what God is doing, and how God works in us. Scripture reveals to us who God is, who we are, what God is doing, and how God works in us and in the world around us. So these works of literature, yes, they are literature, and oftentimes they are very complex works of literature. So sometimes they are difficult to wrap our heads around because much of this literature is two to 4,000 years old. Much of this literature is very, very ancient. It was written in a language that was not English. And so it takes work. The Bible takes work. It takes work to know it, to know it well. It takes work to listen to it over a lifetime and get a handle on it. But what it does is vitally important because it tells us how to think about our world. And it tells us about God, about who he is, who we are, what God is doing, and how God works in the world and in us. And ultimately, all of the scriptures point to Jesus. Jesus is at the very center of the Bible. He is pointed at from the Old Testament in these hidden ways, in these mysterious ways. 
there's always this longing and pointing toward someone or something that can reunite heaven and earth. And the New Testament is all about pointing back to Jesus and pointing to him as the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity in whom we have life and life to the fullest. And so we read both the Old and the New Testaments in order to get Jesus, in order to wrap our arms around Jesus and to be embraced by him. And so we read the New and the Old Testaments. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about how to read the Bible. Fundamentally, God speaks to us in two different ways. The Bible works on us, the scriptures work on us, in two different ways. There's the law, and there's the gospel. Now, when I say the law and the gospel, I do not mean in uh, the literary sense. While there are in the Old Testament sections of the Old Testament that are law code, such as the Ten Commandments, that's a specific law code that God gave to the Israelites at that time. Much of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, much of those first five books is law code given to the Israelites. This law code is not what I'm talking about when I talk about law and gospel. And also, the gospel that I'm talking about is not the gospels as in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels are a particular type of literary work, a literary genre that that tell us the story of Jesus, tell us the biography of Jesus. When I talk about law and gospel in this context and kind of together as law and gospel, I'm talking about a, a theological category, that there's these terms, the law and the gospel, and they actually do two different things to us. The law is any place that the scripture convicts us and convinces us that we need Jesus and that we fall short of God's will. The law is any place in scripture that convicts us and convinces us that we fall short of God's will and we need Jesus. So the law codes are a kind of law. They convict us because we see how much God expects from us. The whole point of all those law codes that we read in the first five books of the Old Testament, the whole point of those law codes is to show how difficult it is to get into the presence of God. Because God was in the center of the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, in the temple. And then there was the holy place which surrounded the Holy of Holies, Then there was the temple and the temple courts and the wall. And as you uh, followed these laws, as you were a priest, you could go closer and closer to the Holy of Holies. The whole point of those law codes is to show just how fallen we are and how difficult it is, how holy God is compared to us. So there are all these law codes to show that. So that's a kind of law. But the law works differently in us as well. As we read throughout the Old Testament, and I love the Old Testament. I'm an Old Testament guy. I'm currently working on my graduate work in the Hebrew Bible. So I love the Old Testament and what it tells us about God and how it points us to Jesus. And as we read through the Old Testament, what we notice is that 
almost every character is deeply and irreversibly broken. So we oftentimes, when we read the Old Testament, we read it as if these characters are heroes that we ought to emulate or they ought to inspire us. But that's really not the case with the Old Testament. In fact, the point of the Old Testament is that every single one of these quote-unquote heroes is actually deeply broken, and they all fall short of being God's person, of being the one that God has called to reverse the curse that Adam and Eve brought into the world. You see, there was promised one person when Adam and Eve, they sinned and they fell short. God told the serpent, he told the enemy, that there was going to be one person who was going to to crush his head, that one of the children of Eve was going to crush the head of the serpent, of the enemy. And the Old Testament is this long journey of trying to figure out who that is and who that group of people is. And so all the characters throughout the Old Testament and the whole nation of Israel, the whole Hebrew people, they continue to fall short from Abraham, from from Noah, even before Abraham, Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, down to Moses, they all fail. All the prophets fail, all the way down to Ezra and Nehemiah, as they come back from exile, they failed again and again. The Hebrew people failed at being God's holy people who would bring blessing into the world to reverse the curse of the enemy. Again and again, God makes promises to Israel, and again and again, they fall short of God's glorious will for them. We get to the end of the Old Testament, and we've read over and over and over again about all the failure of Moses and David and Solomon and Ezra and Nehemiah, all of these individuals that we put our hope in, and they all fail. And we get to the end of the Old Testament and we think, Lord, help us. There has to be somebody who can fix this. There has to be somebody who can bring blessing. There has to be somebody who can bring the blessing that God promised into the world. And that person is Jesus. So the law works on us as we read the Old Testament and we're faced with this reality that we cannot fix the problem of sin by ourselves. We see ourselves in the failure of the Old Testament characters. We identify with them and we see that no one, no one can do the will of God except Jesus. And then as we read into the New Testament, there are more times where we see commands from God that show us that we fall short. There are commands from God that he uh, gives through Paul that we continue to fail again and again and again. The law works on us in this way to show us that we need Jesus. So it's not to make us feel bad or guilty. In fact, Paul in Romans and Galatians even says says it this way, that the law brings guilt, but Christ brings freedom. That through Jesus, we are actually free from the guilt That we receive from the law. So, as we read as Christians, as we read the law, it doesn't necessarily make us need to make us feel bad about ourselves. What it makes us do 
is realize our need for Jesus. Because even the law leads us to Jesus. Even these commands and this realization of our own shortcoming leads us to Jesus. The law shows us our flaws so that we know and understand the need for Jesus. The gospel then, as we read through the entire Bible, we can find gospel passages, even if they aren't explicitly about Jesus, but the gospel is anytime God gives a gift or a promise that is unearned. So all throughout scriptures, we see these promises again and again, all the way from Genesis 1, where God promises that there's going to be someone who comes and crushes the serpent's head, all the way to Abraham, where God promises that one of his children, one of his seed, is going to bring blessing into the entire world. That's a gospel passage. Again and again, through the first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Old Testament, we see God make these promises about being the God of the Israelites, being their God no matter what. In the prophets, as we read later in the Old Testament, God again and again talks about his own faithfulness in the face of the unfaithfulness of his people. God gives comfort and blessing and promise to us anytime he gives us a gift or tells us of a gift or a promise in the scriptures. The gospels themselves, the literature, the genre, the first four books of the New Testament, the gospels themselves are full of gospel passages. They're full of passages where Jesus makes promises about God's kingdom. And Paul's work, the letters of the New Testament and the other, the other letter writers, they're full of gospel passages where God makes promises not based on merit, not based on what people have earned, but simply because he loves his people and he's rescuing them through Jesus. So the law is anything that convicts us and convinces us that we need Jesus. And the gospel is any time that God gives a gift or a promise to us in the scripture. I spent a lot of time talking about the law, and I just want to talk about a couple of gospel passages. One gospel passage that we can point to very clearly is 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this, that baptism now saves you. Baptism now saves saves you. And the way that it saves you, Peter says there in 1 Peter chapter 3, is by giving you a clean conscience toward God. That baptism is a promise from God to you that you can trust in. We read in Colossians and Galatians and Ephesians and Romans and many other places from Paul that baptism, in our baptism, We die to Jesus, and we are resurrected with him into new life. Baptism gives us a clean conscience because it is our new birth into the kingdom of God. It is our new birth into the family of God, that God has chosen us and that we are born in him. Now, this is a promise because it is not something that we've earned. 1 Peter chapter 3 does not say, baptism now saves you because you believed and now you're saved because of your belief. That's not what it says. It says baptism saves you. It saves you because you die to Christ in your baptism, as Paul says. You are resurrected in Christ 
in your baptism, as Paul says, and that gives you a clean conscience toward God because you know that Jesus has died for you, he has rescued you, and he has given you new life in him. That gives you a clean conscience because you can point to that thing and you can say, that's when God saved me. That's when God said yes to me. And you can trust in God's word and you can trust in his action and his love for you in your baptism. That's a gospel passage. It is an unearned gift that God gives, an unearned promise that God gives to us for, so that we can have faith in him, so that we can trust in him. This is how the scriptures work in law and gospel. So I want to talk about, I want to talk about very briefly uh, the layout of the Bible, because we're going to talk really practically here about how to read the scriptures. So the major movements of the scriptures are the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah or called the law. This is kind of the fundamental story, the very basic, basic fundamental story of the people of God and how God operates with his people. So this is a lot of the Bible stories that we know well. Abraham, it's Adam and Eve and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph, Moses, all of those guys are all part of this first five books. That's a big chunk of it. This is also where we have all of the law codes, the really detailed law codes. So when you get into, you get slogging into the middle of those first five books of the Torah, it can get pretty complicated and hard to read. The next section of books, and it's not necessarily in order, uh, but the next kind of books that we have in the Old Testament are the prophets. And the prophets are, are writers called by God to identify what God is doing in the present situation and to call God's people to holiness, to faithfulness, and to give them the promises of God for the future. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, Micah, Jonah, all of these guys are all different types of prophets that show us what God is doing in that historical moment that they are written, and also to uh, give us some promises of God that we see fulfilled later in Jesus. So the prophets are not all uh, these detailed prophecies or these detailed uh, predictions about what's going to happen in the future. In fact, very little of the prophets is predictions about Jesus himself. Mostly what the prophets are doing is they're talking about what's going on in their time from God's point of view. And then they're calling God's people to faithfulness and giving them hope, giving them promises that we see as fulfilled in Jesus. Then we have the writings of the Old Testament. And this is all the different various types of writings that we see. So these are histories. Um, these are like First and Second Chronicles are part of this. Uh, this is the Psalms, the Song of Solomon, Proverbs, all of these folks, um, the wisdom literature. These are all just the writings. It's kind of a collection, a random collection, assortment of writings. Um, and God has lots of different ways of, of speaking to us through these things. There's lots of different genres involved in these, this last section. And so that's all I'm going to say about it. Then as we move into the New Testament, we see three different types of, of works, three different types of literature. First is the Gospels, and that's biographies of Jesus. So these are trustworthy, true biographies about the person of Jesus, uh, written and collected by eyewitnesses of Jesus. So these are the actual people who saw him and dealt with him 
they got witness statements and they took down all this information and they give they're giving us bio, biographies of Jesus. Now each gospel has different emphases in why they're writing and how they're writing and why they're collecting, how they're collecting, and how they're telling the story. So we can't read these biographies as modern biographies because they're not. Uh, we can't read them as modern biographies because they simply aren't concerned with what modern biographies are concerned with. So when you read through the Gospels, they're going to tell similar stories, sometimes the same story. They're going to tell them differently in different places. And this is pretty normal. This is typical. And it doesn't mean they're not true. It just means they're not doing what we would do if we were to write them for the 21st century. But they are true. They are accurate representations of what Jesus said and did at that time in his ministry and in his work. The Gospels, I'm also including Acts in the Gospels. So the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, um, this is a two-part series of the same book. So Luke and Acts is written by the same guy. They're two parts of the same story. So I'm kind of including Acts in the Gospels as well. And then we have the letters. This is the biggest bulk of the New Testament. Paul, Peter, James, um, some unidentified folks, they wrote these letters to uh, the churches in the area to tell them about Jesus, to give guidance and recommendation. Many of them are pastoral letters written to churches to help inform them about theology and how they should live their life in Christ. Uh, so this is just a large collection, a varied collection with uh, different authors and um, different situations. So they have different emphases and they give us a really beautiful picture of the Christian life in different situations. And finally, the last book of the Bible is kind of in its own category, and it's the revelation of Jesus. This is a beautiful uh, vision that John had, the apostle John had, that Jesus came to him and gave him some instructions on what to do and what to write to churches in the area, and then gave him a vision, a vision of what was going on in the world around him. The revelation is very, very much like a prophetic work. So it's like the prophets. It's like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Daniel or any one of those. So the revelation is a way to think about what was going on at that time, but also a way to think about what's going on in all time, in every time. So as we read through Revelation, there are some things that we see and we say, wow, that seems very familiar to us about these individuals doing these things and saying these things. And that's because God is doing the same work and humans, frankly, are the same. There's nothing new under the sun. So we read the Revelation and we see, wow, we can see ourselves in this story and in this vision. And finally, it gives a promise of a glorious future, of what's to come, of the new creation that God is going to create, of the resurrection of all people at the end of times. And uh, those who are in Christ get to live in the new heavens and the new earth. And we get to participate in this new creation in kind of a, a, a universal-wide uh Garden of Eden, where we all get to experience life with God in perfection. Those are the major movements of the Bible. The Torah, the prophets, the writings, the gospels, the letters, and the revelation. So let's dig in and how to read the Bible. The way that we are supposed to read our Bibles is very slowly and over a lifetime. Psalm 1 describes a person who loves, a blessed person, who loves the word of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. 
And that's what we're called to do, to meditate and to think about the scriptures day and night over our entire lifetime. It's not something that can be tackled one time, not something that can be tackled little chunks at a time. We have to swim in the scriptures. And uh, if we want to dedicate ourselves to be people of the Bible, that's what we have to do. We have to swim in the scriptures. We have to know them deeply. We have to know the stories and the images deeply. And over time, we see the connections, we make the connections, and we are led into a deeper relationship with Jesus. The man that I've known in my life that has known the Bible better than anybody else um, was a man at my first church that I pastored at. And this man was uneducated. Uh, he was a war veteran. Um, um, we were in Wisconsin, so he did all the Wisconsin things. He worked as a cheese packer, and he worked as a, as a butcher. Um, he was not a man that was educated. He was not a man that would be called uh, smart or skilled, um, and certainly not an academic. But he knew the Bible better than anybody I had ever met. That's because for decades, for decades, since he was a young man, I knew him when he was about 70, since he was a young man, he had read the Bible every year, the entire thing, cover to cover. And he just read it every year, over and over and over and over and over again. And when I met him, when I knew him, when he was around 70 years old, he knew the Bible better than anybody that I had ever met. He knew the Bible more deeply and intimately. He could make connections. He could see references within the scriptures. He knew the Bible because he had spent his entire life with the Bible. That's what we're called to do. You don't have to know everything right away. You don't even have to understand everything right away. What you have to know to get started is that everything points to Jesus and that God speaks to us in law and in gospel by convicting us and convincing us that we need Jesus and by giving us promises in the gospel. If you start with that, if you understand the law and the gospel and you begin reading the Bible slowly and over a lifetime, it will open up to you. You will unlock the joys of the scriptures. You will find Jesus in every page. You will hear Jesus in every story, and you will be driven and pulled into deeper relationship with him. My prayer for you is that you would take time to read your Bible. A good way to do this is through the New Life Lutheran app that has a year-long Bible reading plan. You can go to that app, and every day it gives you readings uh, to read and a psalm to read. So it actually has the scriptures broken down into chunks, into chapters, to kind of give you guidance through the Bible. The next tool that I would use if you are interested in reading the Bible is the Bible Project. They also have a Bible reading guide, and they have videos that give you a roadmap to the Bible and a roadmap to every book of the Bible so that you can understand the major movements, the major themes, and how to best approach a particular work or a particular book of the Bible. And so this is what we do. We read the Bible or hear the Bible because much of the Bible was written not to be read, but to be heard out loud. So find an audio Bible that you like and listen to it. And listen to the Bible or read the Bible day by day, year by year, 
decade by decade. And the Bible will open itself up to you. It'll show you the glories of Jesus and lead you into a deeper relationship with him. Thanks for listening today, everyone. Have a great week.